And so today I, I want to I bring you a message, um, just kind of being a pastor for a while, you, you, you watch your sheep, I really, I'm a little bit of a farmer, uh, I raise a few animals here and there, and, and I think part of the reason I do that is to understand how to be a better shepherd, and because the Bible calls me a shepherd, a pastor is a shepherd, and don't take offense to this, but he calls you sheep, <laughs> bah, <laughs> and so, but it's a good thing, God loves sheep, and <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to dig myself out of that one, but, <laughs> but so I raise a few animals, and, and, and so being a shepherd, in a sense, I, I, when I, I look at the congregations around me, and I, I spend time with my people, and we do um, counseling, and we address issues, and I, I'm in the business of watching people, and so even Pastor Josh, and Pastor Bubba, and Pastor Zach, we're in the business of watching people. We watch you spiritually. We watch you through prayer. We watch you naturally. Uh, we watch how things are going for you. We, we pray for you when we see you hitting places that we know are tough. And, and so through all of that, I've, I've seen what, what seems to be a pattern in, in a lot of believers today. And it's, it's that we'll, we'll hit these spiritual momentums and we'll start to gain some ground spiritually. And then all of a sudden, something pulls the rug out from underneath us. Anybody ever experienced that? I mean, you just hit like, man, you, I'm, man, we're climbing the mountain, man. We're getting close to Jesus. Incredible things are happening, man. We're believing God for the first front row parking spot at Walmart and, and, and things, and it's happening. And, and, and then all of a sudden, the rug gets pulled out from an, underneath us. And I think we've all experienced that to some degree. And so the message I want to preach this morning is a message that I just believe God wants to speak to every one of us today. I prayed. I said, Lord, I don't want to just get up and speak something that they may just, you know, think I'm a great preacher, and it's really not even about that. I want to, I want to preach what you want to preach this morning, Lord. And so I just submitted myself to him and said, you speak through me. Because you'd rather hear God than me, right? I won't take offense to that. I get tired of listening to me. <laughs> and so today I want, to, I want to preach a message to you, and the title of it is It Must Die. And it's a little bit of a gruesome title. Cody kind of uh, he and I wrestled this morning on how to try to make it prettier, but it just, it just is what it is. That's what you ended up with. We were even talking about doing like a gravesite and all this, but anyway, it was a little too gruesome. Um, but I want to talk to you today about it must die because what I've noticed in being a pastor and, and watching sheep is that there's things in our life that if we don't kill them, they're going to kill us. If we don't take care of some issues in our life, they're going to rob us. They're going to steal from us. They're going to keep us from the promised land that God wants us to live in. Amen? If there's, some, if there's some things in your life that you don't kill, some things in your life that don't die, then, then they're going to rob you. And so for me this morning, I'm not coming at you like, oh, you gotta, you're, a, you're a cigarette-sucking sinner. I'm not coming at you like that. I'm coming at you with a pastor's heart, with a shepherd's heart, and saying, listen, there's something in the way. Can we just deal with it today? Can we just get that thing that you've been wrestling with for so long, can we just get that out the way? Can we kill it today? And so go with me to 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1. I want to show you something in the life of David. David, is, he's conquered one of his greatest enemies, and it's, it's an incredible moment. And I just want to show you the value of life and death 2 Samuel chapter 8, verse 1 and 2. I only had verse 1 on there. But after this, David defeated and it subdued the, the Philistines by conquering Goth, their largest town. David also conquered the land of Moab. 
he made the people lie down on the ground in a row. And he measured them off in groups with a length of rope. He measured off two groups to be executed for every one group to be spared. The Moabites who were spared became David's subjects and paid him tribute money. So you got to see what's going on here. David conquers his enemy, one of his longtime enemies. He conquers them, and he, and he says to them, I want you to lie down on the ground in rows. And in fact, there's going to be two rows of those of you that are going to die, and one row of, of those of you that I'm going to let live. But those that I let live, are, you're not just going to get away free. You're going to actually serve me. You, follow, you tracking with me this morning? So, so David has the responsibility to decide what's going to die or who's going to die and who's going to live. And so David lines them up, and he gets two rows of those. So David's walking through the crowd, and he's going, you must die. You can live. You must die. You must die. You must die. You can live. Now you say, well, Pastor, that's kind of gruesome. I mean, you know, <laughs> couldn't he just rehabilitate them? Nope. Couldn't he just send him to jail or you know, maybe punish him? Nope. You see, David understood something about life and death. He understood that if I don't kill my enemy while I have the moment to kill it, it's going to come back and it's going to torment me again. It's going to come back when I, I'm least expecting it. It's going to come back at the most inconvenient time and it's going to show up in my life. And for many of us this morning, you, you've kind of lived in that pattern where you, you get a little spiritual momentum and you get things going your way and, or, or even God's way and, you, and you're starting to truck along and then all of a sudden, that thing comes back. And it pulls the rug out from underneath and you go, Kah. I mean, your wife and you are getting along. <laughs> Finally! <laughs> She's coming around to your way, man. <laughs> yeah, be careful, be careful. And then all of a sudden, that thing comes back up. And before you know it, she liked you, the dog liked you, everybody liked you, but now nobody wants to talk to you. You see what I'm saying this morning? There's value in life and death. And I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, I constantly read about death in my Bible. And I'm not necessarily a gruesome person. I don't particularly like death. I don't, I don't want to die. <laughs> I mean, I want to go see Jesus one day, but not yet. I want to live a little bit longer. And, but life and death is a real issue. In fact, if you've ever gotten that phone call that all of us dread in the middle of the night and someone on the other side says, there's been a terrible accident, what's the first thing you want to know? Are they alive? Right? Because if you, if you realize that they're alive, then you can work down from there. But the first thing you want to know, the most important thing on your heart is, is whether or not they're alive or they're dead. Life and death is, is valuable. It's pretty incredible. And we've, we've got to be careful that we don't begin to coexist with things that need to die. You ever run across a mouse in your house? Has anyone ever had the thought when you saw the mouse, you know, I wonder how we can just work this thing out. You know, you're like, like you'll get, you know, I'll let you get, you can have the house at night and, and, and then I'll, I'll take it during the day. And as long as we don't see each other, we'll be fine. No, that, that don't happen, right? I mean, what happens? Listen, when I see a mouse, I'm looking for something to kill it. Listen, I believe a mouse is the most dangerous animal on the planet. It's not a tiger. Well, number one, because we don't have those around here. 
But more people have been injured running from a mouse than anybody else. But in that moment when you find that mouse, you're not thinking about some kind of peaceful coexistence with the mouse, right? You want to what? You want to kill it. I'm looking for a flamethrower. I'm looking for a bazooka, baby. This thing's got to die because I ain't going to sleep. Last time I slept at a camp, is a camp out in, uh, just south of Franklin, and we was out in the swamp, and I'm, I'm in a, basically a 40-foot container, and I, I go to lay down in bed, and, and then they always go in you know, before the hunting season starts and kick all the snakes out. And I, I kind of had to get past that, but you know, so I, I'm laying in bed, and I feel something just kind of jump on my foot. It's, and it was on top of the, on top of the covers, and I, and I knew what it was. And I'm a big dude. I can take on many things, but a mouse? So I waited, okay? I didn't know what to do. I didn't have a weapon. <laughs> I left my flamethrower at home. And this thing, he starts, he starts to go, and he gets down right here in front of my foot. And my, my, I was kind of bent like this, and, and I just went, one, two, three. Bah! And I heard him hit the wall. Boom. I said, got him. In that moment, I didn't want to live with the mouse. He wasn't getting under the covers with me. We're not going to snuggle. Come on, somebody. You know the old saying, the best snake is a... Right? There's only one kind, and it's the kind that needs to die. We don't want to coexist with those kinds of things. So why would we want to coexist with the sin or with the struggles that we have in our life? Listen, enough is enough. It's time to move past some of those things and get into some real spiritual joy. Get some real life inside of you. Amen? David understood life and death. He wasn't afraid to, to take life when it, it, it called for it. He wasn't afraid to kill what needed to die. He was, he was a man of battle. He was a man of war. David understood something, though, that if I kill Moabites now, then I won't have to kill them later. You see, David understood something else. He said, if I kill them now, this is good, my kids won't have to face them. Amen. Come on, I'm preaching now. Amen. Oh, we love our kids. I don't want my kids to face them. Well, then kill them now. Kill them now. In fact, the Bible says that, that David wanted to build God a temple. He said, God, let me build you a temple. God told David no. He said, you're too bloody. You see, David was a man of war. David understood war. David understood death. David knew what it was like to smell another man's blood. He knew what it was like. I'm sorry that this is so gruesome, but I'm trying to press a point this morning. He, he understood what it felt like after he'd killed somebody to go lay in his bed and deadrenalize. He was a man of war. And God used him in mighty ways. Go with me to, to 1 Chronicles chapter 22 in verse Eight. I don't hear no pages, man. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm on a mission to hear pages rustle. Come on, how many of you old schoolers miss hearing this? Come on, somebody shake a page for me. Okay, that didn't work like I thought it was gonna work. It ain't the same. <laughs> First Chronicles chapter 22, verse eight. It says this: But the Lord said to me, "You have killed many men in the battles you have fought, and since you have shed so much blood in my sight, you will not be the one to build a temple to honor my name. But you will have a son who will be a man of peace, and I will give him peace with his enemies in all the surrounding lands. His name will be Solomon, and I will give peace and quiet to Israel during his reign. He is the one who will build a temple to honor my name. He will be my son." 
and I will be his father, and I will secure the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. you got to see this. What, what David didn't get the opportunity to enjoy, his sons did Amen. because David killed the enemies Amen. in his life. You see, sometimes as parents, you just got to suck it up. My kids have more favor than I do. I get jealous of my son's favor. People love him. They take him places they would have never taken me. And I got to be careful. Come on, somebody. I got to be careful that I don't get jealous of my kids. But I got to remind myself that I'm killing giants today that they won't have to face tomorrow. Come on, somebody. It's got to die today. That anger's got to die today. That, that, that drug addiction has to die today. That little bit of sip of drink has to die today. That flirting that is going to one day turn into an extramarital affair has to die today. That attitude has to die today. That addiction has to, that habit, it has to die today. I'm presently trying to kill the bluebell devil. I had my first victory this week. We drove through Brenham, Texas, and I did not stop. Come on, somebody, give the Lord praise. Victory. You know I'm just clowning. I didn't stop. No, I didn't, really. It, it, was, it was a real victory. I make fun. I'm really not addicted to Bluebell that bad. I just eat it when it's there. I mean, come on, somebody. <laughs> you see, David understood something, that he had to kill his enemy before he gave birth to other enemies. David had to take care of it right there when God put the enemy in front of him. And you get into a message, into a service like this today, and I want to tell you what's happening right now is the Holy Spirit's beginning. He's coming very very much like a gentleman, he's coming and he's going to start to bring up some things in your mind this morning. So maybe it's an attitude, maybe it's a, a, a fear, maybe it's a depression, whatever it is, maybe it's an addiction, whatever that thing is, he's going to begin to remind you of that. And he's going to put it up in front of you. Listen to me, when he does that, when the Holy Spirit lifts something up and puts it on your radar, that's your sign to take care of it right now. Because when you take care of it right now, he's given you the authority and the anointing to kill that thing right now. Don't wait. You don't have to rationalize it. You don't have to analyze it. Kill it. If it's, if it's not in here, and there, or if, if it is in here and it says that it must die, then kill it. Amen. Don't wait. You don't need somebody to help you understand it. Kill it. Then figure it out afterwards. It's making sense? You got to kill it before it gives birth. To more. You see, the Moabites... If we back the story up, the Moabites came from a, a moment with Lot where Lot didn't do what God wanted him to do. You see, Lot was, was, was mercifully, God gave Lot mercy. He said, you get out of Sodom and Gomorrah with your family and I'll, I'll spare your life, but I'm going to destroy that city. And so the mercy of God got Lot and his family out of the city. So, and God gave him very specific instructions to go up the mountain. God said, get out of the city, go up the mountain, don't look back. So Lot and his family are escaping the city and God's wrath is about to come down on that city. And instead of going up the mountain, Lot goes to another city. 
And when he does that, his wife turns around and looks and instantly turns into a pillar of salt. You see, Lot had the opportunity to respond to the mercy of God, but instead he waited to respond to the judgment of God. And as believers, we need to respond to the mercy of God. Listen to me, when God begins to convict us of sin and he begins to bring some things up in your spirit, you need to know that's mercy. It's between you and him. It's mercy right now. Are you seeing this? It's mercy right now. If you, if you continue to push it away and push it aside, from my experience, eventually you'll get exposed. Deal with it while he's whispering to you. Deal with it now. So what happens is, is Lot's wife is salty and, <laughs> and him and his girls are, they're finally going to respond to the judgment of God and go up the mountain. And on the way up the mountain, a very tragic, really gross thing happens and his daughters get pregnant for him. And out of that decision, out of that moment, came the Moabite people. The ones that David would later on form a line and say, you're going to die and you're going to live and you're going to die. Those people came from that moment. That moment when Lot decided to not respond to the mercy of God and respond only to the judgment of God. The Moabite people were birthed out of that moment. And from that day on, they tormented the children of Israel. Constantly. A thorn in their side, just an irritation, just something that keeps coming up. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. Yo, I, I, I've struggled with anger in my life. In fact, Pastor Bubba was the first person to ever address my anger issue, and I thought that was pretty crazy because I'm twice his size. <laughs> he, let me tell you something. He might be small, but he's brave. <laughs> but when you don't deal with it, you know how it is. Come on, this morning, you know how it is. You don't deal with that thing. It rises up when you don't want it to. Amen. It'll embarrass you sometimes. Right? David understood, if I don't kill them now, they're going to multiply. That's where it started. Imagine how David's feeling right now. He's, he's conquered his enemy, and his, his enemy is there at his feet, and, and he's making these decisions on What's going to live and what's going to die? Think about the great victory. Think about he's going, man, I don't have to deal with this no more. Come on, you married couples. It's time for that thing that's in between your marriage to die. That pride, listen to me, the number one issue with marriage today is called selfishness. I can sum up marriage counseling with one word, two words, three words. You must die. You each must die. Everyone in the marriage must die. In other words, the selfishness must die. But because you won't kill that selfishness in your life and humble yourself, it's something that constantly comes up in your marriage. And every time you get to gain a little bit of ground, and boy, things are going good, and she's giving you that look when you get home, and you, watch out, here it comes. You following me? It's got to die. Why does it need to die? So that you can enjoy marriage like it was intended for you to enjoy. 
so that you can have the blessing of being with somebody that God created and it puts you together with them and they're totally opposite of you and you make this perfect match and, and you get to enjoy all the emotions and the passion that comes through marriage, but you can't do that right now because there's something in between you that somebody's refusing to kill. Is this making sense this morning? It must die. You need to decide today that it needs to die today. You see, too many people in this modern age that we live in today, they want to be saved and still sleep around. They want to be saved and still smoke a little dope. They want to be saved and still drink a little drink. They want to be saved and still party at the club. They want to, they want to be saved. They want to have the blessing of heaven. They want to have the relationship with Jesus, but they want all the things from the world too. And listen to me, you can't have both of them. God said, you're going to serve one God, and he's a jealous God. You're going to serve me, and I'm going to separate you from the world. The church does not need to look like the world. The church needs to look like God's family. Come on, somebody. It needs to look like, like the inherited, the, the adopted people of God. You know what I love about being a pastor is I see people that come to church for the first time, and they, they come in, and they're kind of, you know how you came to church here? And you kind of walk in, and you're feeling, you got your feelers out, and beep, 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 and, and you're walking around, and you got this look on your face. But then give it six months, and you get plugged in. You go through next step. You get into a life group, maybe even go to freedom. And then all of a sudden, I wish I could take a picture the first day you came in, and then about six or eight months later, and put them side by side, because you're going to see something changed. Amen. You know what changed? Some things started to die in your life. It started to die, and you're now getting filled with this life and this joy from God. When the Holy Spirit convicts you of something, he gives you the authority and the anointing to do something about it right then and there. Don't hesitate. This morning, I want you to deal with that thing. It may be as simple as you just you gossip a little bit. It may be as serious as, you know what, I've been flirting at work. I don't care where it's at, to be honest with you. I just want you to deal with it. You know why? Because I want you to be free. I want you to enjoy all the goodness of God. I want you to be in the kind of relationship that has no condemnation. Amen. In the kind of relationship that you don't have to walk around with guilt anymore. You see, the problem with sin is that it, it doesn't affect God and sin doesn't change God. Sin, sin changes us. It makes me start to believe that I'm not adopted. It makes me start to believe that I'm not saved. It makes me start to believe that I'm useless and I'm worthless and I'm not worth anything. When the opposite is true, that you're so worthy, that you're so precious to God that he sent his son to die on the cross for you. That's how much he loves you. That's how much he cares for you. But you can't enjoy that if you're stopped up with some sin, with some issues in your life. It's meant to happen now, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 says, So put to death the sinful, earthly things lurking. I love that word, lurking. Lurking within you. Because, man, that's what it feels like sometimes, huh? That old sin nature, that old thing you've been wrestling with, it just kind of hangs out inside. And I promise you, he's trying to embarrass you. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm talking about. He, he's lurking, and he's looking for what? The perfect time to embarrass you. <laughs> he says to put to death those things. 
have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lust, and evil desires. These things must die today. You see, we've got to take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and like David's doing, he's standing over his enemy. This is the sword of the Spirit. This is your only offensive weapon that God's given you. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. The reason you need to read it is so that you can know how to use it. Come on. You can't use your sword, you're going to get killed. Kilt, that's like... That's beyond killed. It's kilt. It's like dade. Dade's worse than dead. That means you've been dade a couple days. <laughs> Shut up, Jamie. But you got to take the sword of the spirit and you got to begin to put to death anger, put to death jealousy, put to death unforgiveness, put to death bitterness, put to death addiction, put to death uh, depression, put to death. Come on, somebody you got to learn how to take this word and begin to put to death some things that need to die. The Bible's very clear, and if the Bible says it needs to die, then listen, you you don't need to try and figure it out. You just need to kill it. Romans 8, 13 says, For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Listen, when you come to Christ and you give your life to Jesus and you submit yourself to him and and you ask for forgiveness, he comes in and he washes the slate clean. No doubt about that. And he gives you righteousness, which is right standing before God. So once I surrender my life to Jesus and I invite him in, I can now stand before God, the Bible says. That's righteousness, is that I have the right to stand before God now. I've been adopted into his family. But listen to me, you still got some baggage. You still got some yesterdays. You still got some things in your life that need to die. A lot of churches and a lot of preachers don't want to preach a message like this today because it don't feel too good, does it? Come on, just be honest with me. It don't feel good. I don't even like to preach a message like this because I'm sitting here getting convicted myself. But you the preacher. Preachers get convicted too. They should. (laughs) Then I believe David understood that he needed to kill it while it was still small. He needed to kill it while he could. Let me ask you a question, all you Bible scholars. How many of you have heard or or know the names of uh, Shese, uh, Ahiman, and Taume? How many of you know those names in the Bible? I didn't figure many of you did. Those are actually the names of the three sons of Anak. They were the first three giants on the land, on the planet, and that was their names. And they were the sons of Anak. And what's crazy is, is that there was three of them, and these were the giants that kept the children of Israel or the people of the nation of Israel out of the promised land. How did, how did three giants keep th- two million people out of the promised land? It was fear. The Bible says they sent spies in to check out the land, and then when they checked out the land, they came back, and all they saw that really meant anything was the three giants. Listen, those giants may have been big, but there was two million in the nation of Israel to take out those three giants. And boy, if they would have took them out right then and there, the whole story would have changed. But instead, they, they, they walked in fear, and they didn't want to 
face their giant. In fact, Numbers 13, 33 says, we even saw giants there, the descendants of Anak. Next to them, we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought of us too. <laughs> how did they know that? Come on, you know how it is. You get these thoughts in your head. Well, I feel like a grasshopper. And they looked at me like a grasshopper. You don't know. The giants might have been afraid. Said, oh, no, that's some spies from Israel. We better get ready. You don't know what's going on. They just interpreted it that, that we look like grasshoppers in their eyes, too. Is this making sense? They were walking in fear. This thing ain't working. They might have been big, but there was only three of them. And three giants kept two million people out of the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. Come on, somebody. The land flowing with bluebell bayous, baby. Come on, some. I'm going to wake you up this morning like Rocky Road. Come on. Homemade vanilla. That's bayou homemade vanilla. I mean, they got kept out of the promised land with three giants. Three giants. And you know what's crazy is that I believe heaven's looking at me and then looking at the giants that are in my life and they're going, man, slap that thing. Knock that thing out the way and keep on going. But I'm sitting like, but it's big. And, and what are people going to think? And I don't know what to do. I mean, what will people say if I kill the giants in my life? Amen. I don't care what they say. Amen. I care what God says. They needed to kill it while it was small, but instead they shrunk back. And for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness where one million of them died. Wow. Instead of two million going in and taking out three giants, they shrink back, go back into the wilderness. Don't go into the place that God wants them to go. And you got to hear this this morning. There's a place that God wants you to be. There's a ministry he wants you to oversee. There's people he wants you to reach and people he wants you to touch and people he wants you to reconcile back to him. But you can't get there because of the giants in your life. And that's what I'm trying to tell you today, that those things need to die. There's a promised land that God wants you to live in, and you'll never get there until you slay those giants. Forty years, they wander in the desert, and one million of them die. What a casualty. What, what a tragedy. I wonder sometimes, what, what did I miss out on while I was worried about my giants? What, what people... Where I was supposed to reach, but instead I was worried about my giants. I was worried about my enemies. I was worried about what people thought. I substituted fear for faith, and I didn't walk in and conquer what God wanted me to conquer. I shrunk back, and there's a great loss. In fact, it was 40 years later that Joshua went to take the people of Israel into the promised land. Pick it up in Joshua 11, verse 21. It says, during this period, Joshua destroyed all the descendants of Anak who lived in the hill country of Hebron, Deborah, and Anab, and the entire hill country of Judah and Israel. He killed them all and completely destroyed their towns. You see, there were three now they're on every mountaintop 
that he turns and looks at. And Joshua wants to take the people into the promised land like God told him to. Joshua wants to do what God says for him to do. But now he's looking out, and on every mountaintop, there's a giant when there used to only be three. Kill it while it's small. Don't let that sip turn into alcoholism. Don't let that little bit of flirting turn into an extramarital affair. Don't let that little bit of, uh, of marijuana, just because, oh, it's getting legalized. Don't, don't let that turn into a full-blown drug addiction. Don't let those little things turn into big things anymore. Deal with it while it's small. What I find crazy is that, is that there was a guy, a guy named Caleb. <laughs> Caleb was 80 years old, the Bible said. Amen. And he got enough of the giants in his life. He popped open a bottle of Geritol, grabbed up some weapons, and he said, I'm going to kill me some giants today. And he got this good attitude that said, I'm going to deal with it today. And I'm hoping that I'm getting you to that place this morning where you're going, I'm going to deal with it today. Enough is enough. I'm tired of dealing with this. I'm going to draw a line in the sand. That's it. I've had enough. I will have a good marriage. I will have great kids. I will be free from drugs. Come on, somebody. We're going to deal with it today because I want to enjoy the goodness of God. I'm tired of living on crumbs. I want to sit at the table, baby. It's time for me to get a plate. And a full-grown a full grown glass of tea at the table of God and say, I'm eating with the people today. Amen. Enough is enough. We got to deal with it today. So what is God dealing with you about this morning? You see, doctors want to deal with cancer when it's small. Why? Because when it's small, it's easy. When it's small... It does less damage. When it's small, you get past it quicker. When it's small, you return to health faster. Deal with it now. Now. Don't wait. You see, you can't go out in South Louisiana and till the ground up and make you these nice pretty rows and put some tomatoes and some cucumbers and some bell peppers and come on making you hungry yet? Some some okra if you if you're you know a heathen and you like okra. <laughs> Sorry. You you can't go out and, and, and make those beautiful rows and plant those flowers and those those vegetable plants and then not ever have to come back and pull weeds out of them. I want to say to somebody this morning, it's okay that you got a little giant in your life that needs to die. It's okay. We all got giants. It's just whether or not we're going to admit it or not. And it's whether or not we're going to deal with it. I got giants in my life that need to die. I'm I'm working on them right now. I'm putting a sword to them right now. You with me? There's attitudes in me that need to die. We all have weeds, but we got to go out and pluck those weeds. You know how that happens? Let me give you something a little practical. That's when you get up in a church service like the ones that you sit through every Sunday where we're giving you something that's given life to you, and you go home and you start to apply that to your life. 
It's when you come to church not just to hear uh, the, the incredible worship and see the incredible videos and hear Pastor Josh's incredible message. You come to church to get around some other folks that are going to provoke you to deal with the weeds in your life. You get up in a life group so that you can get around some other people that can pray with you and help you deal with those weeds in your life. Because sometimes the weeds get so bad you need some other people to come and help pluck them. It's when you get up in your quiet time, and it better not be too quiet. I told the church last week, I said, I love for my kids to catch me. And they kind of looked at me, I said, catch me praying. Catch me reading my Bible. I love for them to do that. They walked out on the porch the other day, and I was having my quiet time on the porch before the humidity landed in Louisiana, and you couldn't walk outside anymore. And it was a cool day, and... I was back then, I was dealing with some things inside of me. I cracked open my Bible and I started reading and, and it began to just very gently address some issues in my heart. And I started praying and I, I pray in tongues. I'm one of those crazy people. I pray in tongues and, and I'm, I'm on the back porch and I'm, I'm praying and it starts out kind of quiet, but then all of a sudden it turns into warfare and I'm, and one of my kids walks out and they go, <laughs> and they walk right back in and say, I don't want none of that. <laughs> I want them to catch me doing that. You know why? Because they're going to face some things, and they need to know how to kill giants. Yeah. Amen? They need to, when they hear me and my wife fighting, they need to see us kissing the next day. They need to know that we burnt the midnight oil trying to save our marriage. Are you hearing me this morning? They need to catch you killing giants because they're going to have to kill some giants too. Yes. I don't want to send my kids out into this world without any weapons, without any experience. I want to help them kill giants in their life today. Right? I want them to see their daddy dig up in the word of God and say, I got to get a word right now because I'm not doing good. What are you going to kill today? What is it that the Holy Spirit's already spoken to you about? Is it unforgiveness? Is it anger? Is it depression? Is it bitterness? What's the Holy Spirit dealing with you about right now? Because I believe that he's speaking to every one of us this morning. And I want you to hear something from my heart. I am so thankful for Jesus and the cross. Because when he went to the cross, the power of sin that used to run my life was put to death. You see, so I don't have to sin anymore. I don't have to do those things anymore. That power no longer controls me. I've been set free from that. If I do them now, it's because I choose to, not because I have to. And because of the blood of Jesus, what I used to not be able to control, I can now control. So grateful for what Jesus has done for me and what he's done for every one of us. It's by his power, it's by his blood that we've been set free. And listen, he's given you everything you need to kill the giants in your life, to take care of the enemy, to take care of the thing that needs to die. He's given us everything that we need. We don't have any excuses. And I want you to understand something. It's okay if you got some issues in your life right now. I'm not here to condemn you for that. I believe every one of you, look at me, every one of you got an issue. Look at your neighbor and say, you got an issue. You've been wanting to say that for years. 
Somebody look at Denny because he ain't had nobody sitting next to him. You got an issue. <laughs> Y'all were scared to tell Denny. I ain't scared to tell Denny. We got issues. Look at me. So what? Kill it and move on. Kill it and move on. Don't get hung up on your giant. David could have hung out with the body of Goliath as I said, I killed my giant. He could have took selfies with Goliath. He could have, he could have Instagrammed his, whatever, he, something grammed. He, he could have done something. He could have hung out with his giant, but instead he cut his head off, took his sword, and drug his head off, and he went on about God's business. Amen. You don't need to hang out with your giants. You need to kill them and then leave them. Amen. Amen. Amen.